Welcome, Broadway fans. Today we're here for another rounding episode of Broadway Breakdown, and it is my personal favorite musical ever, so don't go away. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Broadway Breakdown. I, I I love this I love this song just because of the different um, languages. I feel like it's how I learned <laughs> like the beginning of French and like how I know any German. Fenda étranger. Oh, I know. Stranger. How, yeah, I can say that in German. I'm totally good. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Madame and Herren, Madame and Messieurs, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Welcome to Broadway Breakdown, and today we are discussing my favorite musical of all time, Cabaret. I am B Phipps14, Brianna Phipps, your host. Find me there on Twitter, Instagram, B Phipps14 on Snapchat. Jackie? Welcome. And no, I'm 123 Jackie B on all platforms Twitter, Instagram, my blog, except for on Snapchat, I'm Jackie B123. And like, We've already told you a million times we're doing cabaret, and if you didn't hear the music, we have our pineapple. We have a pineapple. We have our book. We have our playbills. Um, Why is this your favorite musical? I'm I'm curious. Like, I mean, I love cabaret, um, and and clearly it's a very popular musical. But part of it he- might, that's heavy for a Broadway fan to is. say this is their favorite. It is, and it's part of it. It might be a nostalgia thing for me. Mm-hmm. I grew up with this musical. Uh, my mom. Uh, did the when she was doing her master's for set design at San Francisco State she did this musical and that was like the first time I saw it and I was like seven or eight <laughs> <laughs> my mom had this thing where I couldn't watch rated R movies or PG-13 movies but, but I could watch could Sweeney watch Todd Cabaret. and Cabaret when I was little <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know I think that it's such a fun musical there's so much happening and it's lighthearted while being so intense and it makes you leave the theater thinking which is what I love to do I love watching a musical and leaving the theater and just like feeling like it changed me. I I agree with you there because I think any good theatrical experience makes you think about it after. It's very Brechtian. Mm -hmm. Um, For those of you Bertolt Brecht fans while we're talking about Germans. Um, But I think that's, I mean, that was one of the uh, values of Brechtian theater to say like theater should be it should be like interactive and invasive mm-hmm. in your life. It should and this be something is very that makes you an think. interactive show. Like it incorporates you as an audience into the play. Right. And it also shows a different side of the German world. Like we learned so much about it in our history classes, like of America going over there, of all of this stuff happening. But this is like coming from a perspective of people in Germany. I think one of my favorite things about cabaret, especially about the the performance you and I saw at the Pantages, which is basically like based on the revival. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Broadway revival, is that it shows how Germany was this, like, fun and lively and um, really, like, culturally fascinating place before the war and uh, before World War II. And then because this person rose to power and played on, like, the hate and the fear of so many people, it became something else entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... I will get into that later, yeah. but I... Before we delve completely into it, we, of course, want to start our show with This Week in Theater, as we always do, um, and it's brought to us always by Robert Diamond and BroadwayWorld.com. Um, so it was announced that Andrea Martin is joining the cast of NBC's Hairspray Live. She's going to be playing Penny's mom, which I love. 
I love her. We're rounding out that whole cast. I know. Like, Seaweed's pretty much the only one that they haven't stated. Yeah. Yet. I think so. I think so. Like, him and, um, I can't think of his sisters. Ruthie? His sister, basically. I don't remember her I don't remember her name either. Um, so, I think that's a great choice. You know, she's, she's the most, uh, nominated featured actors for Tony Awards and Drama Desk Awards, which is... (laughs) It's... Hey, it's really interesting. And she's my favorite part in My Big Fat Greek Wedding. <laughs> I used to love that movie. Um, so that's going to be great. I'm, I'm really excited to see that when it comes out in December. Uh, We're recapping it here, too. We will way. be. We'll be on After Buzz TV recapping it. Yes. But it will be But us. you should still check it out. Check it out. Because it will be us. <laughs> not, I mean, not if that it wasn't <laughs> us. You should, us. like, just ignore After Buzz TV. But no. Like, um. And then Kate Schindel, Robert Petkoff, and Susan Moynes were going to be leading the Fun Home National Tour, which I'm really excited that it's going so on tour. So excited for this, this tour. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, it won the 2015 Best Musical. It's basically the story of a girl uh, at three different stages of her life kind of going back and discovering different things of why she turned out the way she did and discovering... Without giving anything yeah. away, yeah, it's uh, she, her her family ran a funeral home, which is why it's called Fun Home because they called it the Fun Home, and it's based on a comic book that you can check out. Yeah, um, Todrick Hall is going to be starring Kinky Boots on Broadway. I'm I so think- jealous that I'm not seeing this production. Um, Todrick Hall, for those of you who don't know, is like a big YouTube sensation. Check out his he YouTube. Did, yeah, check out uh, Beauty and the Beat is amazing. Uh, Cinderella plus more like those are my two favorite ones but he's gonna be great in this i can he just has he, he comes just from got, a broadway background yes and he just got done doing his own like one his own like show made by him and so now now he's yeah going. we had him in studio on after Buzz, if you guys want to check that out too um for his what was it was it just called todrick i thought it was an oz something oz Oh, you're talking about the play thing. I'm I talking about the play. I thought that you meant the was... reality show he did. Oh no, I was talking about the play that he just finished, and now I can't remember the name. Uh, well, he also had a reality show. Yes, <laughs> which he came He's... in and was on. Check out his stuff. He's hilarious. Um, this one was interesting to me. Lynn Manuel Miranda and Alan Menken are going to co-write for the live production of Little Mermaid. I'm so that... excited for this. I'm it's... so excited. I'm so intrigued as to how the music's going to turn out because they have very different styles of writing. Yes. So I want to see what they come up with together. Well, for me, like knowing that they added, yeah. Well, (laughs) well, that knowing that they added Lynn, I feel like it'll be because they're trying to bring the Little Mermaid out of the '90s. I think it was like, can't remember what year it was. It came out '86. Oh, '86. Yeah. Sorry, I have no concept of time. I only know that because it's my sister's year. She was born and. That was, like, my dad, like, complained over and over about us watching it so much. I watched it as a kid, and when you're as old as I am, you start to blend time and space, and the 80s and the 90s become, like, one mishmash hodgepodge. I love that you said, when you're as old as I, because, like, the show. I'm not as old as this show, yes. I just... Anyway, I'm as old as I. Um, But I I feel it'll be, because it's so... um, kind of like sugary sweet saccharine and i love that about the little mermaid but i i kind of feel this will give it by adding lynn it'll give it a, an update i mean to alan Menken did the original era. music yeah so i feel like he's just going to kind of be there to maybe write a new song with lynn but mainly just kind of retouch up the old ones right um and then last but not least of course uh thievish finkel 
died uh, at 93, and he was in, he played like three different characters, worked his way up in Fiddler on the Roof. He was, started off as the innkeeper, and then he was, uh, I think, the butcher, and then he was Tevia. Um, he's also was in Cafe Crown, Little Shop of Horrors, and Finkel's Follies. Um, so it's a great loss to the theater community, but he had a great long run, and I don't know what else to say right, except for right. rest in peace. Yeah. Yes. All right. Thank you again to Robert Diamond and BroadwayWorld.com for giving us our week every, our news every week. Sorry. Um, and I encourage everyone go check out the full length of these stories. That gives much more in depth. There's a there's a trailer for Todrick being on Kinky Boots, and there's also uh, Andrea Martin doing a little shout out to letting everyone know she's, um, in NBC's Hairspray Live. So definitely check out the full articles and more on BroadwayWorld.com. Um. All right, let's get into this. I wanted to talk a little bit about where this musical came from. It was originally... <laughs> I just have to tell you in my notes. So, I, you know, I dashed down notes before we come in here. And um, I wrote next to 1966, which was the year that um, Cabaret first came out. I wrote Joel Grey and parentheses OG. <laughs> it, it tickled me. Original girl. No, because he, he's the original. No, he's I know. The original I'm, MC, original. I say girl. OG because Teen yeah. Mom has OG now, and it's the original girls. And oh. it, it kind of makes sense for the MC to be original girl in my mind. Yeah. Um. So, this was based on um a short. Two, there were two short stories called the Berlin Stories, was what they were called in America. Um, the second story, which is I think Goodbye Berlin, um, was the main one that like features it, and it mainly features Sally Bowles. Yeah, goodbye to Berlin. Goodbye to Berlin. Um, it's a fictionalized, like an autobiographical, but fictionalized yeah, it's, uh, it's his, story of Christopher Urshwood's time yeah. in Berlin. And his full name is Christopher William Bradshaw Urshwood, which is where they came up with Bradshaw for Cliff, uh, which I thought was really cool to give that nod to him. Um, but yeah, it's his time in, in Berlin and his like you said, fictionalized accounts of it. So none of it's a hundred percent true. Sally Bowles is not an actual like person, no. but it's based on it's based on people he knew in the cabaret scene. Yeah, he got in he got the last name, I believe he later said he got the last name from this guy Paul Bowl that he met. Um so it's yeah, he just took bits and pieces. So like in no way is this like a hundred percent he didn't meet someone named Sally Bowl in the cabaret. They didn't none of this like fully actually happened, but some of it may have. I just can't be sure what. Um, and then that got turned into a play called I Am a Camera, which got turned into a movie. And I watched the short film. It's not short film. It's an hour and a half of her that time period. Yeah. That was normal. Um, which is a ridiculous film. But Sally is like the main part of it. So she's really the, the main thing that came out of both of these. Because she's the same character in a 100% way. Like Fräulein Sch Schroeder, which is um, what Schneider is in these adaptations is like not the same at all like in the book she's completely okay with Fräulein Kost's lifestyle and she thinks it's funny and she actually really likes her and I'm like mm, that's different obviously they have to make changes when you do a play but I think um the cabaret scene as far as um material for artwork is is very rich mm -hmm. If you, if you guys ever want to see movies, too, about the cabaret scene, I recommend Marlene Dietrich's movies. I mean, I, I did a play a long time ago in college where I had to where I had to play a cabaret singer, and I can't sing, but um, I don't think all of them could either. <laughs> uh, 
Well, it's funny that you're mentioning that. I'm going to mention it later um, about the singing because they actually didn't want super well. Yeah, it was supposed to be. I mean, Sally Bowles was supposed to be a character who was like a struggling artist. If she could sing really well, she wouldn't be doing like the cabaret scene. Yeah, that's basically what they wanted to say is like she wouldn't be in this dingy place if she was an amazing singer. Right. Or an amazing actress or any of it. Right. Um, So that's where the those this play was inspired from and it was then later made into cabaret in 1966 like jackie said starring joel gray um we're gonna talk about kind of the original versus the revival in a way not to say like one is better than the other just to kind of give what the differences are in the two different shows because this is one show that when it was revived did change a lot like not storyline wise but feel and um so the original was 1966, and I'm going to focus mainly on the revival of 1998 because 2014 and 1987 is basically the same. There's little differences, but overall they didn't change that much. So we're going to focus mainly on those two. Um, okay, so... The movie came, just for your reference, the movie came in 1972. 72. And the movie I see is kind of like a bridge between those gaps because they took songs from the movie that they used in the 1998 revival. And... Um, but the movie has Joel Grey, and I I think, to me, the way that Sally Bowles is portrayed after that, like, you can see people still sometimes trying to do Eliza thing. Um, um, but Joel Grey is, like, the way Joel Grey plays it is very different from the way Alan Cumming plays it. Yeah, and those that's the first person I have on my list is the MC, which is Joel Grey and Alan Cumming, as Jackie just said. Uh, and part of it is the time period. Part of it is that you couldn't do what Alan Cummings does with the part back then. No, it wouldn't, you couldn't. It wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have been a hit. People wouldn't go see it. That would have been too, too much right. <laughs> for them to It's hit. funny because we, we did a, a test show of Gypsy in which we had the same kind of discussion because Gypsy came out in, I think, the late 50s or early 60s. And we had the same thing where it's like there, there was a, even though like the show has taboo material, both Gypsy and Cabaret, there are certain things at certain times that you can show. And then once those boundaries have been pushed back, which they have by the 90s, you can, it's like now you can have nipple clamps or whatever you want to have. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, this is a time period when on TV, you couldn't even show someone sleeping in the same bed as each other. So to, for what Cabaret did in 1966 was very risque. I mean, and this was right before Hair came out, which kind of even further tested the boundaries by doing nudity and all this. So they did, it was very risky for that time period. So if you watch it now, it doesn't seem that way by our standards. But for that time period, what they were doing was pretty risky and kind of like it may not have worked. People still might have been like, I don't like this. It's too much. So um, Joel Gray plays it more like he wears a suit. He has rosen cheeks, uh, slicked back hair. He's And he's described as asexual, which he does have sexual things. Like they, there is like little sex stuff happening, but you don't view him as a person that's going to go be doing these things outside of the club. Whereas on coming, you have to, you have in your head that he's pretty much doing all of this like raunchy stuff when he's not at work. I feel like, though, it's a natural progression from Joel Gray to Alan Cumming. Because first off, they, they look very similar. And then um, second, it's like by the time you get to Alan Cumming, it feels like it's like Joel Gray has like had too much to drink and like stripped off his clothes. And then that's when you get the 1998 revival. It was interesting because Alan Cumming um, put track marks on his body because he said he felt that uh, 
the MC was a, like a junkie. An addict junkie. Yeah. He has bruises and stuff yeah. when you watch the videos and you're like, whoa, whoa, okay. <laughs> um, and then we have Sally Bowles, who was originally played by Jill Hayworth and is now, what was then Natasha Richardson. Um, both played it very well, I thought. Like, singing-wise, Jill Hayworth had a little bit more of that sound. I don't know, like that kind of cabaret sound, like... Natasha Richardson played it more like like I said it's darker in the new one so she played it a little more junky a little more tattered and beat up and I think Jill Hayworth was trying to still be a little more sing-songy pretty Jill Hayworth uh, I don't know it's like her voice to me isn't as appealing as Natasha Richardson's so it's hard for that's my that's my take that's my comparison is like her her voice I just don't find it as appealing as Natasha Richardson's it's kind of irritating to me but I understand that's like what they were going for Mm -hmm. and then Natasha Richardson's voice is like a little bit stagey but very like appealing stagey um and then Cliff uh we have Burt Convey and then John Benjamin Hickey uh and I read and I actually was a little confused by it because originally he's portrayed as straight and then the movie he was bisexual and then when they bring it back, they're saying he's pretty much homosexual. But I don't... I still view him as bisexual. I view him as bisexual. In the newer renditions as well. Like, maybe more, he's a little more t- geared towards men. But, I mean, you have to... He's still sleeping with Sally Bowles, so... And the version that we saw, I, I felt like it was clearly bisexual. Yeah, that's what I've always thought. So I was a little thrown off when I read that Sam Mendes um, had said that. I was like, huh. I didn't quite get that. Maybe Sam Mendes doesn't know the definition of bisexuality. (laughs) But, um, Herr Schultz, uh, was Jack Lifford in the original and is Ron Rifkin in the new one. Uh, it was funny when Steve, my boyfriend was listening to it. Uh, he just commented about how much more Jewish Jack Lifford sounded. He had that very (laughs) stereotypical Jewish. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, but I think both played it great. Um, most of these parts, like, I like both people. I feel the same way. Well, except for, um, except for the original, um, except for the original Sally. But mo- for the most part, I, I feel like this is the, I feel like this is the kind of show, though, where, um, it reminds me of Chicago in a way where you can almost have all kinds of, like, iconic people playing all kinds of roles and it just, it just doesn't matter who it is. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like, I can see where with a show like Hamilton, where people are always going to be thinking of the original cast when they're seeing other things. And I don't know why that, I don't know why I mean, that for Cabaret in Chicago, it feels different. I think this one you still are in a way, but it's more about not so much listening to the songs and feeling that. It's more about if you see them portraying these people, it's like, wow, they understood this character really well because it is more about an acting standpoint in this than singing so the way they portray the character and how comfortable they are on stage because like i've watched clips of like certain actors playing it michael c hall um and he just didn't seem as comfortable and it showed very much so yeah and so even though the singing wasn't bad it was like you don't i don't get the character from you as i got it from alan cumming right um, and then in the, original- the version we saw, by the way, had Randy Harrison, who was on Queer as Folk playing. He was amazing. He was friggin' phenomenal. Not only was I freaking out because I was a huge Queer as Folk fan um, from back in the day, but but then I was like, 
you you always think when um Joel Gray and Alan Cumming are so much associated with those roles. Um, it's it's interesting because as the as the MC, when you when you hear it as the MC, you're like, oh, this is kind of the narrator, and you don't realize it until you see it that you're like, the MC is the through line. The MC is yeah, like he's the main... the, he's observing everything and he's judging you through all of it, not like the people on stage. But I felt as an audience member that as the play went on, he was judging you more and more as an audience member because I felt that they were trying to do it in a way that was to say, you're a bystander of all of that's happening right now and you're sitting there doing nothing. And I so as it went that. on and he would start like sneering at the audience and saying things in a certain way, I'm like you're, you're judging us and getting really upset with us for not doing anything about what's happening. And I realized just earlier, I, I said that, like I was saying that like the, there was no like iconic people associated with the roles. I'm excluding the MC because the MC to me, the MC is the best role in this. Is the best role in this. Um, if there and, was one role I could ever play, and I, and and it's not a woman role at the moment. It's never been a woman role. I would want to be the MC. Yeah, the MC is clear. Like to me, I yeah, the MC is the best role. role. It's the most iconic role. They associate it. You, you know, when you have these people that are associated with this particular role. I feel like almost any other like big name actor could play almost any of the roles, but the MC is very particular. And just mm-hmm. like you said, you have to be very comfortable. So when I came to watch the version at the Pantages, I was a little worried because I'm like, how are you going to stand up to Alan Cumming? How are you going to stand up to Joel Gray? And man, like Randy Harrison knocked it out of the park. It was just like you were captivated by anything and everything he did. And he has a great And there's so much ad-libbing with the MC. Like even if you're reading through the script, which um, this book in here has the script, every other line for the MC is like, and then ad-lib something, and then ad-lib something. So you have to be very quick on your feet to play that role. It, I mean, I love that role. I wish I could play that role. Um, And then last but not least, we have Fraulein Schneider, who is... Loetla Lena Lena Lenia and Mary Louise Wilson, um, both good. Like sh- she's like the least, my least favorite, like not least favorite. That's me to say. I just get mad at her during the play. Because I actually love the Fraulein Fraulein Schneider role. Um, I do too. I just get mad at her because I want her to make a different decision than what yeah. she made. <laughs> The thing is, like, the musical sad. You know she's going to make that decision. Yeah. Because it's like Germany makes that decision. The, the the cabaret world that you see is, like, a small version of what's happening on in greater Germany at the mm-hmm. time. So you're watching it, and you know all the fun's going to come to an end, and you know Fraulein Schneider's going to make the wrong decision, and you know these people are going to die, and you're still watching it. And you're still... The first act does such a great job of making you forget that that's going to happen until about the very last part of it when they start bringing in the song of Oh Fatherland, Fatherland. Yeah, that's, I mean, to me, it's interesting because we always talk about our diva songs. Like, what song, like, would you sing out in your car? Or for me, sometimes it's, it's the song that would resonate with me the most. And historically listening to the album i always listen to the the 1998 revival is what what i the first cabaret um cd or album or whatever that i had um that moment is a real turning point and you can tell you can tell in the musical you can tell on the album this country that um thought of itself as so great and they were having a great time and they were in this very artistic period. It's like that is the exact moment where where everything starts to get really morose and turn around and go mm-hmm. very, very wrong. Yeah. 
Um, and that even shows in the music. Like, the original music was a lot more um, campy. Like, they brought in songs to make it darker. They changed songs around. Um, you know, we have money was in the original was like, I have all the money I need. And then it's money, money, money. Yeah, money, yeah. Money, money, money. Like, it's... Which is better for what the play is trying to get across, but it also could be, like, in that time period, they felt they couldn't really go that dark. They were already dealing with a dark subject. I mean, I'm not sure. Well, I mean, in the 60s, you had people that were still alive. Not that people aren't alive anymore that were alive during World War II, but you were a lot closer to that time period. So you're talking only 20-something years separated from it. And, like, when you watch a show, like, let's say, Mad Men, where where you have some of the characters still feeling like certain resentment or certain feelings that are left over from World War II. That is, it, even though like we might think of 20 years as distant, it was still very, very mm. raw to these people. So you had to be very careful about how you portrayed certain things. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about the changes they made with music and mainly focusing on what was excluded in the revival versus what was added. Um, so they took out the telephone song, which I was happy about because I don't like that song. And I thought the little part that where she says it uh, while he's picking up his typewriter and you're sort of hearing the cabaret, that's enough of a telephone song. I don't need any more of it. Um, I don't know how you feel about no, that. No, it was really a filler song. I felt like we're just literally putting a song in here. Um, they have Don't Go, which I... Like, that's the... I think it's the... Why should I wake up? Which I like that song. It does. It's not needed, but I do like the song. For me, I, my opinion is always going to be I prefer the I prefer the songs from the revival just because that's what I grew the up first, with. Yeah, well, not necessarily grew up with. I was in high school by the time I listened to Cabaret, so um, it's what you knew first. Though. It's what I knew first, and then I went back and I watched the movie later in college. So it was kind of like a reverse viewing and then I started to get to know the the original and so it's still this thing to me where it seems weird because Mm -hmm. I started watching it backwards um and then they got rid of Miskite because in the version you see now uh Fräulein Kost is the one that tells um Ludwig that he's Jewish that Herr Schultz is Jewish um and she makes like a joke like oh like not like he can't afford this they have all the money the Jews and that's the moment he like realizes that he's Jewish and then wants to leave the party. In the original play, um, Herr Schultz is trying to kind of bring everybody together and get the party lively up. So he's like, I'm going to tell a story. And it's a song called Miskite, which is a, a Jewish word meaning ugly. And um, that's when Ludwig discovers that he's Jewish. So again, I think they cut it because they wanted to add in other songs and due to timing and stuff. And no one knows that word really anymore i think back then people may have been more like i i wouldn't have known what miskite was if i had even even not knowing what it means it just seems weird in the sense that they like herr schultz herr schultz knows what's going on so to have him like implicate himself in a room that might have nazis in it it seems like very very irresponsible yeah and they try to play it off like oh he's drunk but i mean and yeah he's drunk he's drunk in in the revival too but it's like he's not dumb drunk he's just yeah i think it's a he's song just drunk. that was very much they didn't need to have it in there um cutting it they could have kept it in 
and it it would have just changed the feel a little bit because you're already starting to get dark by that point because Bradshaw's like realizing that Ludwig's a Nazi and there's all this like drama happening at the party and then oh let's bring this like lighthearted song in and then let's go back to it being dark so I thought it wasn't completely needed so I wasn't minding it not being in but I think that song also does the same it gives you the same feeling um that the reprise of of tomorrow belongs Mm -hmm. to me gives you because you have this this room full of of people singing this song about their country and the song itself like the words are very prideful about germany but it's like what's going on is very just like Mm -hmm. very terrible so it it gives you that that same feeling of that disconnect where you're like you're like what a beautiful song and like how much these people love their country but but it how much they love their country is also what is like making their country really terrible right now so like yeah it wasn't needed it it didn't i yeah like we have already said it um then they added in uh mine hair which i love Love i i grew up watching the movie originally um probably i don't i can't remember if i watched before my mom's performance or after but that song's in there, and I love that song, and I think it is amazing, and I'm glad they put it in. Um, and then we have um, Maybe This Time, which also is an amazing song, was added in, um, which I think works better for the feeling than Don't Go did. Even I will I tell like you, song. like when we saw um, Andrea Goss, who has a very, very beautiful voice, um, unlike a lot of you can tell that she's a very well-trained singer unlike someone like a not that I'm dissing Michelle Williams or Emma Stone but these are not traditional singers Mm -hmm. so um to have someone play the Sally Bowles role but actually have a really great voice it was a wonderful experience like when she sings by the time she's singing maybe this time you could hear a pin drop in that theater it was amazing it was like one of the most like moving moments in theater I've I've ever had. Um, and then they added another one of my favorite songs, which is I Don't Care Much. And I love the MC singing this song because it gives you a completely different look at him. Because he's always like making lightheartedness of all of these situations, being like, oh, it's okay. Like, I'm going to tell you what's happening, but I'm also going to make you laugh. And this time I'm just... Well, it's that, that's the moment where he starts to... Because you know, he's been keeping up the momentum the whole time. And that's the moment where he starts to realize everything's going to shit. He starts losing hope in anything. Yeah. Which is an amazing moment. And, um, they also changed it. The, uh, intro, they have them actually introducing the cabaret girls by name and the boys and Sally Bowles, which doesn't happen in the original. They just say the cabaret girls and there's no boys and there's no Sally Bowles. There's no Fritzy and Lulu. Which is one of the like highlights of that <laughs> intro song because that's there's so much ad-libbing going on. He can have so much fun with it's it. It's such a blast. It's such a blast. Um, and then they changed also the young boy on the gramophone that we hear nowadays used to be a men's chorus, which I think both give you the same effect in a different way. One is a little boy singing very beautifully in a very quiet room because it's on a gramophone. And then one is just like all these people coming together and singing and both are eerie, both are powerful. So I think either one works. Um, and then we already talked about the money one. So let's go into our diva song. What's your diva song from this one, Jackie? You know, what's funny is um, I would have said 
so I, I gave the argument for why um, why tomorrow belongs to me. I feel is so significant, but I do love the pineapple song. There's something like so cute and wonderful about the pineapple song. But after watching uh, after watching the most recent version that we saw at the Pantages, um, I, I think it's maybe this time mm-hmm. now. Mine is Vilkoman. I love that song. I love doing all the different languages. I love having fun with the little chorus parts. I sing it out loud in my car. I sing it at home. I, I sing it on the show. It's a blast. It's hard um, it's, to resist it's, singing that. Yeah, it's a, such a fun song, and I love that one. Um, but it's interesting how in the 1990 Broadway revival, you know, for those of you who have not seen it or are not familiar with it, you're watching the first act and you're having a blast. You feel you're like part, you're at yeah, a you're cabaret, part of the cabaret, you're part of the show, and then after the intermission, you come back and you're like, what the actual F just happened. Mm-hmm. I am in a different place because everything is very, very, very dark, very somber. And then at the end, you have uh, the MC in the um, concentration camp outfit with a pink star. Well, we're going to get to the ending. I don't want to get oh, too I, much I, ahead. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to get too much ahead because we're gonna, I'm going to talk about the differences in the endings. Um, but I do want to talk about the costuming a little bit. And I have a couple pictures from the original cast costume and I have a picture from the new one um and it's very different like we said like they couldn't wear this is the original they're wearing kind of like these like they're wearing skimply clad but they're like kind of burlesque-esque yeah burlesque and he's in a suit um and then when you go to the revival picture uh this is Alan Cumming and the girls now which is just very bare minimum them wearing just undergarments ripped stockings uh he's in that little get up with the parachute yeah. <laughs> suspenders um so very different i i think i i actually really love i love the revival outfits but i think it's also because you have to update it for a modern audience because for what the outfits were the outfits that you thought might be risque in like the 1960s are not the same outfits that are going to be risque to a modern audience. Mm-hmm. So you almost have to update those outfits so that like people coming in get a feeling of I'm seeing something I'm not supposed to be seeing. I think the main um, shock value for everybody wasn't even so much the girls or anything of that because they just were still wearing lingerie, just more of what would really under- be underneath their clothes back then than what they wore to make it more scant. But I think the MC is really what was the shocker for everybody because why would he be wearing that? Like that's he's not legitimately something... in his underwear. Yeah, and like that is the one thing that you you would not have seen in a cabaret at all back then. You yeah, it's very it's that. very fetishistic, which is interesting because um, when you look at Germany in like the eighties and the nineties and today, uh, Germany became in the like eighties and nineties very. Like, they had fetish clubs and fetishistic, Mm -hmm. like, outfits and things like that. So it's almost like a reflection of a more contemporary German fetishism kind of outfit. But, I mean, I still love that costume, but that was the one that I was like, that one they were just doing for shock value alone. Um, Okay, so let's go into the ending. And like you were saying, this new one, if you want to finish that. Yeah, he's wearing the concentration camp outfit, and then he's got a, a... a star of David and the pink triangle 
um, the Star of David, meaning that he, his character would have been Jewish, and then the Pink Triangle, meaning that he was gay or bisexual or homosexual. Yeah. Um, and he is electrocuted or... That's what I got. Yeah, that's what I got from it. He's electrocuted. Um, and this one is different, too, because when he, usually at the original, he says, um, you know, even the orchestra is beautiful. And the, in the original, they slid the orchestra out onto the stage with them, which you'll see in the Tony War video we have later on. But uh, they slide them back out, and they're just wearing – they're not as pretty. They're playing not as pretty, and they are wearing Nazi uniforms. And then he just goes and does his, like uh, – there's a big montage of, like, everybody in a cluster and, like, Herr Schultz coming out and saying a line from, like, I'm a German and mm-hmm. Schneider – and all of them just saying like kind of lines, and then it all goes dark, and MC's left alone, and he goes like Elvira Zane, I'll be on tour, and then walks off stage, which actually my parents saw it in the '80s, and my dad said he saw Joel Gray, and he said that Joel Gray did the Elvira Zane, walked to the next uh, spotlight, I'll be on tour, next spotlight, and then just looked at the mom and said good night, like really grossly, and like walked off. Um, yeah, and this version, uh, this version's much. He's different. he's electrocuted, and you get the feeling that uh, everybody who is around him, who is draped on the stage, all the all the characters, you get the feeling that they're actually they're dead. All, yeah, they all went to the concentration yeah, camp. Yeah, that's what you get the um, feeling of. And it's it's interesting to me because when, when you're looking, history has a way of repeating itself and history has a way of being important and history has a way of, history is a good way, a good teaching tool. So when you're looking at something like this, when I was watching it, I I got like physically ill. I was like, this is like, to me, and I know I'm probably going to get some comments. When you think of how sometimes Americans think of themselves as the greatest country on earth and the most invincible people on the face of the planet, and some of the ugly things people are saying about certain people in our society right now, you can easily compare it to some things that happened in Nazi Germany. And so to see this production... And no, it was like coming off of a 1998 revival, but still being so very topical today. It was it was so chilling for me to see because you have this like Germany was such a fun country at the time, but they had also been they had also been burned in the First World War, so they were very vulnerable at the time. They were vulnerable to Hitler and this dictator, and then who who played on the anti-Semitism and the and the fear of people in a country and you can have rulers and Germany was democratic at the time and they voted this guy in and then he became a dictator. Mm -hmm. So you can see in society today where a country that thinks it's great and is having a great time and is living in excess where they can come down very quickly with like one wrong turn. Well, and you can see, I think that's why stuff like this is so important to watch because you could see how something like this like, even though you think in your head this could never happen, how could this ever have happened? It'll, it could never happen again. It could happen again, and you can kind of see how that happens when you're, are such a, when, you're, when you're a country looking for something to get you out of such a bad time. It's yeah. terrible, and, yeah. it, and it can happen. And if the more we think it can't happen, that's when it could happen. Yeah, and the, I mean, the message to me from watching this version was like the party stops and if you don't pay attention the party stops in a very ugly way yeah um i do want to get to the tony awards really fast because we are getting towards the end 
here. Um, so I'm going to play the original Tony Awards production. Someone said, I believe he was executed by the offense trying to escape. I could see that. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's an interesting thought. Um, and also, I want to quickly say, as we're pulling this video up, to the London production in 2012 took it a step further. And their ending was that everyone got undressed and walked to the back of the stage. And then Ludwig comes through and knocks the cabaret letters down as he walks by. And then um, white snow looking like stuff starts falling and you hear hiss of gas. And they're all standing oh, naked in a huddle in the back of the thing. So they're in the showers. Um, okay. <laughs> Sorry. I had to, very dark I ending. had to say that a one because I thought it was ending. a really cool way to do it. Um, so this is going to be the Joel Gray version and 1967 Tony Awards for their production. Um. And kind of just get a... This will give you a flavor of the difference of him and Alan coming. I love their outfits because they have cats on their Yes. You don't believe me? Well, do not take my word for it. Go ahead. Ask her. He's just such a caricature. These outfits are so uh, burlesque. And one best costume. Every night we have the battle to keep the girls from taking off all their clothing. So don't go away. Who knows? Tonight we may lose the battle. <laughs> she has a cat tail coming down from her crotch. They all do. Like all the ones from that costume. Oh my gosh. It's hilarious. Um... So that's a little taste of that one. Uh, this was nominated for Best Musical, Best Original Score, won both of those. Um, Jack Lifford was nominated for Best Leading Actor. Uh, Loette Lenya was Best Performance for Leading Actress. Uh, Joel Gray and Edward Winter were nominated for Best Featured Actor, and Joel Gray won, which I thought was interesting because in the revival, the MC is listed as leading, and in this one, he was a featured. Um it won Best Performance by Featured Actress for Peg Murray. It won Best Direction. It won Best Choreography. It won Best Scenic Design. It won Best Costume Design. It won a lot. Um, and then you go to 1987, and it was nominated for Best Revival, Best Performer for Featured Actor for Warner Klemper, uh, Best Performance for Featured Actress for Allison Reed, and Regina Rensick, and won none. And then we go back to 1998, which I this is almost unheard of, I feel, where it was nominated for all, pretty much as much as the original. Um, so this is Alan Cumming with, uh, in the Tony Awards. So you can already tell the difference mm -hmm. in the character. What's interesting to me is his outfit's almost close to a German soldier outfit. Well, that, yeah, and they use it later on. Yeah. Because he's got he's got the soldier uh, the leather coat leather trench coat and then he's got the you know the the stirrups that hold up your socks and the boots. Yeah. It was um, I was talking to Jackie earlier about this because in the book I have over here it has his diaries from the from the pre shows. And I just had like a fangirl moment because he started talking about like how Spice World was coming out because he was in that movie and he was in New York and the Spice Girls came and they went out and they saw a show. And I was like, I love that so much. Oh, yes. And there's the little Alan Cumming fangirling. Well, we would fangirl over Alan Cumming. 
Yeah. But in here it's so hot. Ooh. <laughs> Every night we have to battle with the girls to keep them from taking off all of their clothes. So don't go away. Who knows? Tonight we may lose the battle. I like their makeup too. I like yeah. that they all look like kind of like trashy junkies. because yeah, you want them to look trash. That was the one thing. That was like that's why I like this one better is because I saw a production where they were all wearing glitzy outfits, and I was like, that's not what a cabaret is. Like a cabaret, you wouldn't. It was a seedy underbelly. Yeah, you it would go to a nice underbelly. place to see something like that. You wouldn't if you went to a cabaret, you're getting like the lowest of the low. And no, like notice when I say when I'm comparing it to burlesque. Like, not that burlesque didn't have its, like... It's just a little more glamorous. ...dirty aspect to it. It's definitely more glamorous than a cabaret, because the cabaret was kind of, like, a more... It's where you could go to get a cheap drink and get a cheap lay. Yeah. Um, And so this one was nominated slash won for Best Revival of Musical. Alan Cumming won for Best Leading Actor, which is what I said was different. Uh, Natasha Richardson won for Best Leading Actress. Ron Rifkin run for Best Featured Actor for Herr Schultz. Uh, Mary Louise Wilson was nominated for her Fräulein Schneider. Uh, best Direction, Best Choreography, Best Costume, Best Orchestration, and Best Line Design were all nominated as well. So it didn't That's win as it, much, but it was nominated yeah. for a lot. And I, and I think the, the Fräulein Schneider and Herr Schultz relationship to me doesn't get enough, like, I don't know, like press coverage, I want to say, or enough people, like, looking into it. Because it, it's definitely one of the like stronger and more poignant stories in the whole thing Mm -hmm. because i mean sally is kind of just a terrible person from the beginning and here you have two people that are sincerely in love and then uh one of them makes a bad decision based on fear Mm -hmm. which is so sad to me because i that's why i love the pineapple song it's such it's such like it's always so interesting to think because like she has that whole speech of like it's easy for you to say you are young and I'm like, so wouldn't it be easier if you're older to, like, even if you knew something bad was going to happen because you're at the, towards the end of your life, but it's like still that fear exists. Yeah. Um, so 2014 production was nominated for also Best Featured Actress, Actor and Actress for Danny Burstein and Linda Amond and didn't win anything. <laughs> like I said, the revival, uh, the two other revivals are pretty much just the regular ones with little tiny changes. But in 1968, Dame Judi Dench played Sally Bowles in the West End, and I'm still mad that I never saw that because I would have not that I was alive in <laughs> like, 1968. Like not that I was born by then. It'd but be really still. fun to see G- Dame Judi Dench come back and play Fräulein Schneider now. Yeah, I'd like to see that. That would be fun to watch. I'd like to see that. Um, okay, so now that we're we're at our ending, which do you pr- uh, uh, prefer? The I think we already know, but the original versus revival. I prefer the revival. I think that's, I mean, I think that's just because I grew up listening to it and because I, I like the darker aspect because of what you said earlier where you said, I like this play because it makes me think about something when it gets very dark and very ugly like that towards the end, after you've been having a great time in the first act, um, it makes you think it Mm -hmm. really does make you think. And I prefer the revival as well, even growing up, um, with more of a Joel Grey, um, MC, I just think that the darkness and the seediness of the newer one works and portrays better what the message is than the older version did. And I think that's just because the older version could not have done that back then. 
Right. And I don't, I mean, I don't doubt it was risque for its time, but it's like sometimes to get the message across, you have to make an update. They do it with Shakespeare Especially all the, time. the further away you get. Like when you're closer to something that just happened, um, it's easier for people to know not to do certain things. Right. Or, or not, or that those things could happen when the further away you get from them happening, the more it's, oh, that could just never happen anymore. Oh, that couldn't happen nowadays. But well, I hope people don't think that. I hope people don't come away from cabaret thinking no, that. Well, no, no, I don't think coming away from cabaret you could, but I think people nowadays it's easier for them to think that that's we're more kind of removed thing from happen. actually World War Two. Yeah. So, so there's there's no harm in uh, like referencing it as a historical like portent than than. Um, people who are actually coming from that time period and still have those raw emotions. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, So that was our show for Cabaret, the theater production next week. Jackie will be gone, but we will, I will be here with another person. We'll be discussing the film um, that starred Joel Gray and Liza Minnelli. Um, Always, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Google play and YouTube. Submit, uh, submit, (laughs) comment Submit. tweet at us i will like if you comment if you give us a shout out on itunes i will read it on air um tweet at us just... let us know if there's any musical that you're really passionate about um let us know and maybe we'll feature it yeah and um also we have our facebook page broadway breakdown we have our twitter at broadway Beatdown. um follow us there as well and please follow us on our normal twitters which is bfips 14 and one, two, three, Jackie B. And we'll have a whole slew of updates for you there for what shows we already know we're covering. And I mm-hmm. think you guys will be really interested. Yeah. So join us back here again next week for the film. And uh, we'll, we'll give Jackie a little love, too, even though she's not here. Bye, guys. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.